0: Welcome to Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and all things life. Ryan and I have another fun and informative episode of the Happy Hour for you this week with a great guest interview, which, hey, it may be a little self-serving to say that, but it is our podcast, so why not? If you've ever wanted to understand the importance of influencer marketing and the secrets to building long-term relationships with your customers during a global pandemic, or quite frankly, any time, then this is the episode for you. It's number 15, and it's coming at you right now.
1: Digital Marketing Happy Hour is brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, go to com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M dot com.
0: So, this is the Happy Hour, Ryan. What are you drinking?
1: You know, nothing
0: too fancy. Just
1: kind of kicking back with a, a, a nice cold one, a uh, Stella, which it, from time to time I kind of go back to. And, uh, I don't know, feels uh, this Happy Hour goes for a little uh, little European beer. How about you?
0: I do enjoy the Stella from time to time, but uh, today I am drinking a Funky Buddha Floridian, which is a Hefeweizen. felt like having a little flavor today. So normally we would chit-chat a little bit more, but we had such a great interview with Neil Schaefer that I think we just jump right to it. And uh, let's go ahead and bring him in, Ryan.
1: We are very excited today to have Neil Schaefer on today's podcast. If you're not familiar with Neil, he's a leading authority on helping innovative businesses through their digital transformation of sales and marketing through consulting, training, and development execution of social media marketing strategy, influencer marketing, and social selling initiatives. He's the founder of the Digital Marketing Consultancy PDCA Social. Neil has been all over the world. He teaches executives over at Rutgers University in New Jersey, the Irish Management Institute, and I'll have him pronounce it later, but a university in Finland. He's also fluent in Japanese and Mandarin Chinese, which I think is pretty impressive. You might have seen Neil as a popular keynote speaker at some of the biggest marketing conferences around the USA. So Neil, first of all, welcome to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. Ni hao and konnichiwa. Did I say that?
2: Oh, now? you nailed it, my friend, <laughs> Ryan. Thank you so much, guys, uh, Rod and Chris, for having me. Man, I'm ready for the happy hour. I, I know it's only when we're recording this, it's in the morning, my time in Los Angeles, but I, I could already use a drink. But no, uh, it, it's an honor to be here. And we Nina. And yeah, uh, let's do it, man. I know that we have a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, businesses that really are trying to figure out how to get their business off the ground with with marketing, and that's what I'm all about. So I'm excited.
0: We're super excited to have you here. And, you know, you just mentioned it, so let's cut right to it. I guess my first question for you would be, you know, why influencers? When you're talking about small to medium sized businesses, startups, solopreneurs, your resources are usually very limited as you're trying to get off the ground. And if I allocate some money to a paid digital, digital ads, I can generate a return right away, right? I can start seeing traction on that right away. If I go a different angle and target search engine optimization or an organic strategy, that's going to take longer, obviously, but I don't have to pay anything other than the time I put into it. Why influencers? Why should I allocate a part of my budget to the social media influencer space?
2: Okay, where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) I think that influencer marketing has been this buzzword that has completely misled businesses into absolute misinterpretation of what digital influence means today. So normally, you know, you're a business owner, you're rolling your eyes. Why am I going to pay a Kim Kardashian type, you know, a million dollars who has, a, you know, she has a lot of followers and I'm going to get a lot of likes and it's probably not going to have any business, business impact. And who are these influencers? And, you know, and, and that is the, the wrong way to think about it. And, and if you keep thinking about it that way, you miss out on the potential really big potential that influence marketing has. So when I wrote this book, the age of influence, which came out this year, you know, March of 2020, the book was in preparation for a few years and all of my content and really, everybody listening your content on your website, you know, your blog, your social media, it should all be about helping people with the problems or helping businesses with the problems they have. And I was no different. So I would be getting asked a lot of questions, not just about influencer marketing, but also about how do I become an influencer? And these are marketers, right? the The very first time that I got this question was actually teaching an MBA class at USC. Uh, I was brought in as a guest lecturer to talk about social media marketing. And normally I'd get asked questions about social media strategy and social media ROI, but it was all about influencers. So that was sort of the turning point where I knew that there was something more powerful here. So as I was going through this, I realized, huh? So influencer marketing is about tapping into influencers, but it's not limited to Instagram. In fact, it's something we've been doing for a long time. So think about it. Affiliate marketing. We all know what affiliate marketing is, right? You're tapping into other people that have influence right? They have websites where they get traffic or they're on social media. You're hoping that they bring traffic your way and that it converts. And if it does, you pay them a commission, but you're reaching out to other people in hopes of collaborating. And these people have some sort of digital footprint. Uh, we could say the same thing about mommy bloggers and blogger outreach. This has been going on for more than a decade. You know, before Instagram, you'd reach out to mommy bloggers in hopes that they'd cover your product reaching out to bloggers. If you're an SEO, well, you know, maybe a a lot of the business owners or people listening aren't really involved in SEO, but I've had people for more than a decade reaching out to me asking for a link from my website. This is, they see my website as having more influence than their, their website or having a great deal of influence that if somehow, if I was able to help them, it would help them have more digital influence in the eyes of Google. So we begin to see that actually we've been doing influencer marketing. In fact, B2B companies have been doing influencer marketing too. Every time you invite an influencer to speak at your event, every time you, you podcasters have been doing influencer marketing. There's so many shows out there that only do interviews and they try to get a lot of influencers in hopes that those influencers share the podcast with their community. So the idea about influencer marketing is You're collaborating with someone that has a digital footprint and you're trying to tap into their community in hopes that they spread the word about you or your business. Now, fast forward to, and I'm going back in history here because this has been around and we could keep going further back in history, looking at celebrity endorsements, looking at Michael Jackson and Pepsi looking at, you know, Michael Jordan and Nike and going further back, you know, Charlie Chaplin and silent movie, Babe Ruth and cigarettes. We've had this notion of celebrity endorsements, you know, before social media and some of these new celebrities were originally social media influencers, but now they're celebrities. I mean, Kardashians, you know, Charlie on, uh, on TikTok is a great example. When you're doing a, you know, a super bowl TV ad, you're no longer a social media influencer. You're a celebrity. So let's, let's take the celebrities out of the picture here. But You know, media consumption has become democratized. So when I was growing up, you know, I'll never forget when Top Gun came out, I was in high school and just a week later, one of my best friends was all of a sudden wearing a black leather jacket and riding a motorcycle because of Tom Cruise, right? We were influenced by, you know, who we saw on TV and movie and sports. And that was it. Ask your kids today who influences them. What media do they consume? It's probably not the TV that we were watching. It's probably not the movies we were watching. It may be still some sports athletes, but it, it's YouTubers, right? It's Instagrammers. In some cases, it's TikTokers. So we cannot deny the fact that media consumption, media creation, and now media influences become democratized where someone named Neil Schaefer can go out there and say something and be listened to where a decade ago before social media was as popular as it was today, it would have been absolutely impossible. But obviously- we spend so much time in social media and so much time digitally searching for information, we are beginning to get influenced by all sorts of people. So I want to fast forward to, you know, I do work in Japan, and uh, I'll never forget speaking to a, a number of small business owners about influencer marketing there. Now, Japan is a country that is really, really late in terms of social media marketing and digital marketing, believe it or not, especially in B2B spaces. But this was primarily B2C, right? B2C, small business owners, entrepreneurs. And when I was done with the conversation, they go, you know what, Neil, we don't get the whole organic social media piece, but we get influencer marketing because we built our businesses off of word of mouth marketing and influencer marketing at its heart is tapping into that. It's inciting word of mouth marketing in social media. And so now we have companies in China, in Southeast Asia, they don't really do organic social media but they invest incredible amounts of money in influencer marketing. And yes, you could do a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad or a LinkedIn ad, but it's still an advertisement and it doesn't incite word of mouth media and people tune not advertisements. In fact, one of my clients, they're a hair color company. Their social media manager who's a millennial says, well, you know, if we boost these posts, it sort of makes us look cheap, right? So, uh, you know, an ad is an ad even in social media, but when you have people talking about you, this was the promise You know, Facebook eight or nine years ago, when organically, uh, if we published something, we had 12% of our fans see the post, and we actually had things in our newsfeed on Facebook that said, so-and-so liked this post from a brand or so-and-so commented on this. We don't, we don't see that anymore, right? For various reasons. But I believe that influencer marketing, when you tap into influencers, when you tap into other social media users that have a community, and, and here's the thing and I know I'm, I'm, I'm going on for a little while here, but these are really important points to make to sort of reframe the conversation about influencers. Even in this influencer marketing industry, which defines influence by number of followers, which is not accurate by any means, and is very focused on Instagram. You know, a few years they started talking about micro-influencers, people that had 10,000 followers. Now they talk about nano-influencers, people that have 1,000 followers. So now you look around you, you look at your employees, you look at your customers, you look at your partners, you look at your social media followers. There's a lot of people out there that have a thousand followers that you can tap into. And when you tap into people that already like, know and trust your brand, which is what I'm a proponent of, it doesn't necessarily cost money, right? You can get, you, you can do a lot with free product, with giving unique experiences with, you know, collaborating in unique ways. And I'd also say that, you know, tapping into influencers for content amplification may not be as valuable as tapping into influencers for content creation. So you don't have to make any more content. You can purely leverage all the people around you that already like know and trust your brand. But if you don't have a lot of employees, if you don't have a lot of customers, and if no one's talking about you on social media, an advertisement ain't gonna make people talk about you. You have to build an army of, of, of influencers, of other social media users. They don't have to be celebrity influencers. They can be nano influencers. And w- what you often do this by is by seeding the market with content. I I seeded the market. I wanted people to talk about my new book. I I went to Social Media Marketing World. I brought like 50 copies with me, right? And I look around the room and I see uh, Melanie Diziel. She's another author um, of the Content Fuel Framework. She used to work at Time Magazine. She's doing the same thing, right? It's the same concept. And so hopefully this sort of clears the air and puts a reset in people's brains because it's a form of collaboration that I think entrepreneurs and, and business owners, they get, right? But it's collaborating now in the digital space where it becomes really impactful. Hopefully, like any doubts about the potential of influencer marketing for even the smallest business in any industry, hopefully those doubts went out the window through that. Well, I, I, first of all, there's so much to unpack with what you said, I, and I love it. I, I think a lot
1: of this goes back to some of the marketing basics, understanding culture, understanding your audience. We talk a lot here on the podcast you know, it's quantity over quality, and you can put that in any context, the size of your followers, you know, when you get down to that nano, that's what matters the most. It's its not always just kind of that spray and pray type of, of approach, and I think you get that. Uh, with a lot of these. It, I found it interesting, just as we were talking, Neil, before we, we kind of went on this recording, was the international marketing aspects of it. And I found it I find it fascinating when you're talking about Japan. Like, that shocked me, you know, where it's not really big in, in that component of it, you know, especially in the B2B space. But in other parts of Asia, y- you'll see that. We find, just in our podcast alone, we hardly get any place in, in Japan. We are actually getting a ton in Singapore. We're getting a ton mm. in the uh, in the Philippines, actually. So it's interesting you you can take a region of the world and I think you can you know use this as an analogy. it's all different, you know, each area, and you have to understand that audience what their needs are and what maybe avenues that they're using because you need to go to where your consumer is, where you know, so you can create that content, but you also got to make sure you're putting it on the right platforms where they're going to be able to hear you or you're going to at least get some visibility from that. So I thought that was really interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I talk about it in the book, but there's one you know, example when I was in Singapore and I was uh, speaking to a brand manager for a new brand at one of the largest uh, consumer packaged goods conglomerates in the world, European company. And he was basically saying, if we don't use influencer marketing, how are we going to get the word out about our product, and that's how far influencer marketing has become in Southeast Asia and China specifically. Mm-hmm. That you know, we have Estee Lauder who announced seventy-five percent of their marketing budgets going into influencers. And maybe for something that's you know B two C, fashion related, very visual, that makes a lot of sense. But um, really, that's how far we've we've come in some parts of the world in terms of the the importance of of working with influencers. Once you redefine it. And, and they work with a lot of nano influencers as well. They work with people and, you know, we see brands starting to do this. They want to work with people that actually use their product. Because how the heck are you going to talk about your product in an authentic and relatable way if you're not an actual user of it, right? So it makes a lot of sense uh, in, in so many ways, I believe.
0: So I have a question in regards to authenticity. And this comes from, we actually interviewed Evan Morgenstein two weeks ago and had a great discussion about influencers and micro influencers. And he made a comment that really struck me about... How authenticity isn't shouldn't be a focus point and his reasoning behind it was essentially if you have enough of an influence in a particular space and somebody puts a big enough check in front of you you're gonna say whatever they want you to say I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this but what are your thoughts on that what would you say to that
2: so you know there are and I'm not my apologies I'm not I'm not specifically um, aware of him what what is his role what, what sort of does he work in the influencer marketing industry Correct. Yeah, he reps okay.
1: a bunch of like TikTok, Instagram.
2: Gotcha. Well, they, there you go. Yeah. So that is that is the view of people that work in the industry that have been proponents of everything that I've talked about <laughs> in essence, because it generates money. Right. And, and and therefore people in the influencer marketing industry talk up influencers. They talk up number of followers because they can generate more revenue and I'm not, you know, I'm sure there's value in, in working with the influencers that he reps. So don't get me wrong. Um, but I do believe that people can see through the BS as people. Yes. You put a paycheck in front of them, regardless, they'll put the product out there. Right. But someone who actually uses and loves the product, the way they talk about it versus someone who's just getting the paycheck and the effort they put into it. And furthermore, right? When you put a paycheck, it's a one-time transaction with that influencer. It's a one-night trick for lack of a better word, right? There is no long lasting impact, but when you work with someone that's actually a customer, that's actually has the chance over a long-term relationship because they're already using you, it makes it easier to develop a lo- longer-term relationship with them. Hopefully at some point you can convert them into becoming an advocate, but they actually talk about you without your asking them to do so because they want to naturally do that because they're human. So I think that a lot of the pushback that people have about the influence marketing industry is the way that it was put in that podcast two weeks ago, right? Well, if that's the case, then, you know, how do people buy into it? So yes, y- you will get advertising space. It's like the billboards on the freeway. You can't ignore them. They're in your face. And I think that that type of influencer marketing takes advantage of that fact, but will it have a lasting impact? And even that one-time impact, how would it measure versus someone that talks a little bit more eloquently because they had the creative freedom to do so and because they actually like using pro- it. I think that the impact is very different. And the chance for that long-term advocacy, the difference is like night and day. And I do believe that followers can see through it. I think that the most avid followers of that influencer can see through it as they look through the caption. Oh, this was a cut and paste purely for money. But yes, you you will get you will get some attention. There, there's no doubt. I agree 100% with that. But uh, I think the impact is going to be very, very different. The problem is when you work with those sorts of influencers, that the, the fact that these influencers have a representative means it's going to be a very, very costly uh, approach. And I think for a lot of small businesses who don't have big marketing budgets that want to do something more tested and, and tried, I think it's a pretty risky investment to make. For large brands, for large consumer brands that have tons of money, um, sure, they'll throw some money into that. But even those brands are getting a lot more careful as to who they invest in. And I know of influencer marketing agencies that have actually gone – they've they've cut most of their staff since the pandemic – uh, because studies are showing that more and more brands want to work more with the nano and micro influencer who are not only uh, less expensive, but also the their communities find them more relatable, especially in the time of today where you see something on Instagram, it just looks so fake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people, they, they want to see celebrities in their pajamas, live streaming from their home. They want to see the reality because we're all in the same boat and anything that doesn't have that reality, it it just, it looks, it looks out of place. Um, And I think a lot of those influencers have had to sort of adjust for the reality of the day.
1: So going into what you're talking about, the micro, the nano, how does somebody even get started? How does someone build an influence or build an audience and then create that influence?
2: Well, what we find is that, you know, every celebrity started out as a smaller influencer. They started out with a zero following and, and built that from there. So, you know, first of all, if you are an influencer, you are a content creator because you are publishing content on a regular basis on a given social network or you're a podcaster or you're a blogger, but it's the same thing. You're a content creator in, in one way or another. Also, you know, maybe when we have newer networks, you've built that influence on another network and you can bring it over, which is why when I see people on Instagram where they don't have a link and they have tons of followers and I've never heard of them, I always sort of question where they got that influence from. But if you go really deep into any given network and you consistently create content, you consistently engage with others, You know, not only reactively when they engage with you, but proactively, you make use of all the features that the platform has. I'm thinking about Instagram of making use of stories on a regular basis, making use of IGTV, making use of all the different functionality that stories has, and really you know, resonating with other people. There are other tactics that, you know, influencers may have used. They may have done giveaways to build a following, um, and, and what have you. But I think over time, when people do searches, they find your content, right? Or they get recommendations from other people. You should follow this person, or they find you on the discovery tab, you know, whatever it is over time, you, you slowly build this community. Uh, and I think that's really universal for, for any given platform, whether you're, you're a podcasting podcaster, you're, you're promoting your podcast and, you know, making it visible on other social media or on Google, or you're a blogger and you're working on SEO and you're trying to do guest blog posts to tap into other communities and influencers also collaborate with each other as well to sort of cross pollinate their following. So it, it, it's a combination of things, but the heart of it is a content creator on a given social network, consistently publishing consistently engaging, including proactively engaging. And the last thing is it's over time. It doesn't happen overnight. It it takes months, if not years, to get to the level where a lot of these people are at. You see some influencers on Instagram, they have thousands of published posts. They're not the people that have, they've published five posts and they have, you know, 100,000 followers and only follow one person, which to me, you know, (laughs) smells like a a, a fake account. But, you know, it it truly does take time to build that sort of influence.
0: Are there certain social platforms that you think lend better to having a sphere of influence like you you mentioned it seems like there's a lot of you hear about instagram and the news and the use of stories and things like that podcasting is a different type of platform you've written extensively about linkedin in the past and being sort of a more professional social network you know do you think there are certain ones that sort of lend to that area better than others or do you think it just depends on the type of influence you're trying to have or what are your thoughts
2: I think it really depends on where is your target customer. I'm a big fan of businesses also trying to become more influential in their industry, right? Uh, in, in the same way that influencers are more influential. So where is your target customers is obviously number one, you know, what, what networks do they lurk on? But number two, what are you naturally passionate about? Right? If you enjoy speaking, then a podcast is going to be a natural. If you don't enjoy speaking, and you consider podcasts just part of your job, you're never going to continue. You're going to be one of the, the many podcasts that have like five episodes and never record again, right? Or a blog that, that hasn't blogged for five years because they stopped after a little while. Or the Instagram accounts that have been dormant because they have no photos to post. So you got to be passionate about it. It has to be fun so it doesn't seem like a job. And therefore, that content medium, in many ways, may decide the platform. If you're big into video, it's going to be YouTube. If you're big into photography, it's going to be Pinterest. If you're a dancer, you know, you love to sing, it's going to be TikTok. That often will determine what you end up doing.
1: What type of frequency of content? We know there's a lot. But even if you're a nano-influencer, what is a frequency? Is it once a day? Is it once a week? Is it three to five times a day? And maybe the platforms do vary, but, you know, if we're talking about the big ones, like we just talked about LinkedIn or Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, is there sort of some sort of cadence that they need to, you know, rhythm to follow
2: with that? I think a lot of experts say that uh, the consistency helps you in the algorithm because the the social network sees that you are you know investing in in their platform and that you're consistently publishing so they can sort of count on you that it's that there's some consistency with the quality of your content as well I just think the more frequently you publish the more opportunities you have to be seen so it it makes sense right Um, but I don't think you need to overdo it and if you do overdo it your posts don't all get seen anyway so breaking down the networks I think the more complex content mediums like a podcast or a video, you know, I, I'd say weekly is really a great minimum frequency. There are people that do daily podcasts, right? I think mm-hmm. John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneurs on Fire, did a daily podcast like in, in the hundreds. Um, Ask Pat 2.0 with Pat Flynn. He was doing uh, outside of the Smart Passive Income. He was doing, you know, the, multiple times a a week so you could do those but man it takes a lot of investment of energy and creativity to continue that over some time so if you're thinking about launching a youtube channel if you're thinking about a podcast weekly is definitely the way to go to to remain consistent when we get to the other social networks it's really a mixed bag i'd say on any given social network once a day is something you should aim for with certain networks like Twitter, it's going to take more than once a day just because the average frequency on there is a lot greater. But, you know, one thing that I recommend you do, and I, I wrote about this back in 2013 when I published Maximize Your Social, and it's something that I frequently do today, is take a look at your competitors, right? If, if you have competitors on these networks, you know, who is doing good, apparently, from the number of followers and the engagement, and how often are they publishing? And that should give you a really, really good barometer as to, okay— If I publish that, you know, that frequently, maybe I might get similar results or maybe I'm going to, if they only publish four times a week, I'm going to publish five times a week. Or maybe if they do two times a day, I'm going to do three times a day, but you don't need to go overboard on it, but you need to understand you should, first of all, become a natural user. You know, I was a podcaster without listening to podcasts for years. And only when I started listening to podcasts myself, did I become a better podcaster. So if you're, if you want to leverage Instagram, but you don't personally use Instagram, you got to change that because once you start personally using these social networks, you begin to understand the lingo, you begin to understand, you look at what's performing well, what's not performing well, you look at frequency and a lot of this stuff becomes a lot more natural to you. Speaking of
1: podcasting, you've been doing this for a while. And in one of the things I was looking at, I saw you know I guess 2013 something like that you started. And one thing I noticed, and I was just kind of zipping through, where this year you've been really on it. And then last year, I, it was kind of it was you were on, and then you'd kind of take some time off and on again. And then I think, but 2018 you were on it again. And I know things happen or your 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 focus goes on something else. But when you have been consistent on it, have you noticed anything different with? the podcasting platform, or was it always been the same?
2: No, it grows. And, and like I said before, I looked at podcasting as a type of content marketing. I'm a speaker. It's audio. It's a natural. I should do it. I should do it once a week. And that's mm-hmm. the extent of it, right? I'm really embarrassed to say this. I actually published an episode, you know, when I came back with a renewed energy saying, you know, you, if, if you got to be, you got to be deeply embedded in a network if you want to become a master at it. And, you know, and, and probably the other thing was I was very early on in 2013. If I had really stayed consistent since 2013, who knows where I may have gotten to. Right. Mm -hmm. But when I remained consistent, you know, the 2018, I, it was really Q4 of 2019 where it's like, I'm really going to invest and commit myself to this. I, I see the ROI, and as I do it on a week to week basis, I see it slowly grow on a week to week basis. And I think that that's really the hallmark of you're doing the right thing. You're reaching the right community. You're growing because it's like, you know, my son, uh, he plays soccer, right? He is 13 years old and, uh, we have some family friends. Their son ended up getting a full paid scholarship to Berkeley playing soccer, ended up becoming captain of their team as the striker, ended up getting a contract with DC United upon graduation. And when my wife asked his mom about the experience, you know, she, it, Japanese are very modest. She's, uh, my wife is Japanese and, and this is a Japanese kid, very modest. Right. But she was going, you know, what helped us most is that other kids just stopped playing soccer. They went to baseball, they went to football, or mm-hmm. they just, they got more interested in girls than athletics. And there, ha- there is something to be said that people do over time fall out. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and people start podcasts, they end podcasts and those that really stuck with them are the ones that get the growth. And those that really continued to be on Instagram from 2013 to today day in day out are the ones that that are still there today that are that have become, you know, more and more influential. So, definitely the consistency also has that meaning, not just, you know, in the algorithm, but that you're not going to leave your fans behind and and more importantly, they're not going to find other podcasts to tune into. I listen to 10 podcasts, right? I subscribe to 10 and, you know, through weekly driving to see my mom or shopping or what have you, I tend to get through about 10. I just can't consume more than 10 podcasts a week. And I'm sure a lot of podcast listeners are probably the same, right? So what I do is when I notice a podcaster just stops podcasting, right? Oh, it's been a month. They haven't issued a podcast. I immediately start on, an, on someone else's podcast. I expect a weekly cadence because everybody else is doing weekly. If I don't get that weekly cadence, I tune off. So Yes, being consistent over time, it it does add up to a larger and larger community. And then you get times where the people are just listening to more podcasts today, I believe. Even with the pandemic, I think it went down at the beginning, but I think Mm -hmm. that podcasting as a medium is still growing. Facebook as a medium is not growing, right? It's plateaued. Mm -hmm. Not to say that there isn't potential there, but podcasting as a medium is still growing. And I think YouTube as a medium, believe it or not, is still growing because younger demographics use it even more than older demographics. So uh, these are just things to consider, but you got to stay on it. you got to commit at least a year, and you really need to stockpile content and ideas. And if you're passionate about it, you'll come up with ideas. You'll be inspired by things around you on a daily basis. Uh, And I think that's really the key to success and and becoming influential on any any given content medium or, or platform or social network.
0: I think that's super important advice, sort of once you get the ball rolling, it's keeping it going. And I do think there's something to what you said about as you start to experience a little bit of success with it, it seems to get a little bit easier each time. Uh, I think for a lot of people, a lot of small to to medium-sized businesses in particular, their biggest challenge is sort of making that initial leap. And with social media, really with, with any digital platform, there's a certain element of vulnerability, right? When you're publishing something of, that's your own content that, and you put it out there, you're exposing it to comments, to likes and to different feedback. And we've all heard stories of things that have gone posts or, or content that has gone horribly wrong. What's your advice to somebody who's trying to make that initial leap, right? Trying to make that, you know, maybe, maybe they have a, a certain, topic or area that they're really strong with and you know they're they're ready to make the jump but they're just trying to figure out how to do it and sort of you know how to have the courage to take the initial leap
2: yeah you know with post-coronavirus today digital is not an option if you're not digitally engaging with people you're not able to engage with them if you're not able to engage with them you're not able to get new customers you're not able to service your clients right so it's not an option today. And I think, you know, before coronavirus, you could say it was an option. It's like, Hey, if you're doing great with all the offline traditional marketing, you're doing awesome. Keep doing it. Right. But you know, more and more now we know we have to be digital first in everything we do. So if you are really confident about your product, why wouldn't you want to talk about that digitally where you can reach more people? I think with, with anything, with social media, with digital media, There's advantages and disadvantages. With anything in life, there's advantages and disadvantages, right? But the advantages, especially today, far, far outweigh those disadvantages. And I mean, you know, I've been giving presentations about marketing during coronavirus, about businesses serving society, and tapping into the fact that you are doing something that's helping people, right? You're serving them. Why would you not want the world to know? Why wouldn't you want to stand on top of? the tallest building in your city and, and yell out, right. Get on the social media, get on the web and let the world know about the amazing thing you're doing. And what digital allows you to do is to tell your story. You know, a, a, a billboard won't allow you to tell your story. A podcast, a blog post allows you to go deeper into, you know, why you develop the product, how you help people, how, you know, you help Mary or how that small business around the corner is now flourishing because of the service you provided them. You know, I, I believe social media, and I say this, thought was made for people, not for businesses. It's, it's a natural extension of being a human being. And if you approach it that way of naturally conversing with people, not in a salesy way, but just sharing stories and, and serving, truly serving people, I think that that is what will make you successful. And that's what will make you want to do more and more digital on social media because of the impact that it can have. If you're still afraid, you know, I talked to companies back in 2009 and 2010 that were afraid, right? It's 2020. It's a reality. And, you know, today you need to do search. You need to do social. You need to do email. These are the three you know, pillars of digital marketing. And every one of them requires content, right? You can't do any of those without content. So if you're going to have content, what is that content going to look like? And if you're just doing content based around products and services, you missed out miss out on, on all the Google searches and all the conversations in social related to things related to those products or services or the, the, the problems that they solve. So once you start getting into that, you get into the sort of the storytelling, you get into tapping into the voices of your customers, what have you. And that becomes blog content that becomes social media content, right? So it really is a natural extension. If you want to be successful in business today you really need to figure that out and get the courage. And maybe if you don't have the courage, you hire someone or you partner with someone that can show you the way that's been there, done that, that can help give you that courage. I, I work with a lot of companies as a fractional CMO. And part of what I do is exactly that, right? And perhaps you too help businesses in your communities the same way. But yeah, if, if you're listening and you, know, you should be reaching out to Chris and Ryan who can give you a helping hand or. You know, if you're in southern california or you speak japanese reach out to me but but that is really you know something that's really really critical today especially if you're selling like international i mean it, it goes without saying you need to be digital but if you're selling outside of your local community you need to be digital but even inside your local community today you need to be digital because people are not out and about like they used to be right so it just you know this is you need to really rethink things today Um, if you want to have an impact and I I do believe these elements that we we have now with lockdowns and it's going to go on for quite some time and we're still going to have remote work right Um, even after this is done maybe not every day but certainly one day a week if not a few days a week to save rental expenses what have you so uh, it's a new reality Um, so I'd say the earlier you get on board and you take the dive and you you hire someone to help you with that the better it's going to be for your business in the near term and long term. The work from
1: home, no doubt. Google announced that their whole 200,000 employees can work from home now through July 2021. So, you you know, this new normal, which is so overplayed, but it's so true. I mean, it's hard to come up with another word than that, that we're living in. So a lot of times now, you know, for me, before I was doing this work from home, I was driving 40, 45 minutes each way and then back. So I've saved work from home an hour and a half a day just in commute time. When you are able to do that, you now have a lot of time. Now you can spend it with your family. You can divide that up and do part of that with family, creating content on your own. So I think in a way, we do have more time to us to put into these efforts. You talked about the three pillars. There's a lot of ways that you can produce content, the written word, video, audio. Is there a certain order of a, you know importance where you create that content? Is a YouTube video more... Influential or important than, let's say, a blog post or an Instagram post.
2: <laughs> That's a really great question. I, you know, I don't think that there's any order. I think it comes down to what does what's the type of content that your target audience likes to consume, and what do you think you'll be able to consistently create great content doing, <laughs> right? So the video, the blog post, they're both impactful. Podcast is pop, is impactful as well. I'd say that take a look if. If you've already done a blog, if you haven't done a blog, it's hard to get access to this, but let's start with the website. So if you have a blog, every time you publish a new post, how many views do you get? Or if you have a product page, how many views do you get on a weekly basis? If you were to publish a podcast, you would probably get more listens to every weekly episode than hits on a blog post. Even on my neilshafer.com blog. There are some blog posts that do really well in Google search that get tons of visitors. But generally speaking for new blog, I get more podcast listens on new episodes than blog post reads on new blog posts. And I'm someone that's been doing this. You know, I have like 450 blog posts. I've been doing this for like a decade. So when I realized this, that's where I really saw what helped me discover the power of podcasting is when I moved from Libsyn to BudSprout, where I could actually get these analytics and really understand the impact that my, my podcasts have around the world. So, so, you know, when you think of it that way, then you look at YouTube, go to your competitors, you know, when, when were the videos published, how many views did they get? And sort of divide that up by number of weeks to get some sense. And I think if you do that, you start to get a sense as to, well, where can my content have impact? And it's going to be different for everybody, right? Um, A lot of marketers listen to podcasts, which is why I'd probably get a lot of listens, but, but this is something that you have to consider. And then when you publish on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter, and Instagram, how many impressions are you getting every time you publish? And that's going to sort of help determine as well. Um, without a doubt, video is a powerful medium. And perhaps when we talk about the video views you get on YouTube, we also need to add the impressions you get when you upload that same native video to a LinkedIn, to a Facebook, to an Instagram. So I think you begin to see that, you know, as a content medium, video or audio become very, very important. And then as, you know, impactful, uh, obviously, you know, it's going to depend, but you know, we tend to think of blogs as being the most impactful, um, which they truly are, especially over time, but podcasts and YouTube videos are going to be the other areas where you're going to see a lot of impact and uh, are the places that you should definitely be considering in terms of, you know, impactful content, impactful content mediums and impactful social networks. So that that would be my answer right now. Uh, This isn't to say I've heard of people on TikTok get incredible organic engagement or organic impressions from from that content. But how much is that content related to the business? I don't know, right? Is it just hundred percent pure entertainment? If you're a dancer, it's one thing, but you know, when we talk about things that are content that's related to your business that you publish, those would be my answers today.
0: You know, this has been awesome. If there was one takeaway that you would want listeners to have that have listened throughout this episode, what would it be?
2: So I talked about those three pillars of of digital, right? So you need to be you need to be in front of search engines, you need to be in front of your customers in their inbox, and you need to engage them on social media. You know, I think that when we look at digital, we we think, okay, well, we need a website, we need SEO or or, or pay per click, we need to do email marketing or marketing automation. We need the content, the content marketing, the blogging, the lead magnets, what have you, and we need to be doing social media organic and paid. It's that next, that sixth, you know, I talked about the three pillars. I actually usually talk about having these five pillars, but it's that sixth pillar that people forget about. And that's the role of collaborating with other social media users, which is that influencer marketing piece because organic social media for most companies is dead. Social media has become pay to play and really, you know, even with the pandemic, we see more people spending more time in social media. I don't think I think that paid social media will get you some impact, but it just is not going to incite that word of mouth and it's not going to build that trust that working with people that have some level of influence, you know, ideally they're people that already know, like, and trust your brand in terms of employees and customers and followers and, and fans, what have you. Um, but I do believe that is another mainstream component of marketing that you should be considering, especially if you're a, you know, an entrepreneur, a small business owner, that, that notion of collaborating with others should be part of your dna it's now time to take that into digital and find impactful ways of collaborating to incite word of mouth about your company so i hope that the one takeaway here is that you don't forget about that now you realize that yes you know influencer marketing doesn't mean spending a lot of money for a a one-night stand you know with 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 someone that's just going to post something look you know, when I published my book, I didn't hire someone on Instagram. I didn't hire, like, you know, a, a micro-influencer even to sort of, you know, to take a picture holding my book. I went out to, you know, I, I tried to engage with other marketing professors on LinkedIn. I tried to engage with people that review similar books on Amazon, right? Uh, when I went to conference, I went to PodFest in Orlando, actually, near where you guys are, and I, I was handing books out, right? That that, that was my influence in marketing, trying to make impact on people that have influenced my industry that might be able to move the needle in terms of book sales. And that's the sort of holistic thinking about digital influence that I I hope, I hope, I hope, after this hour of me blabbing, Um, that you have gotten a sense of and obviously if you wanted more information you could go you know buy a copy of the age of influence which which i wrote all about this but i'm really hoping that that concept really you know especially because there was a very contrasting episode a few weeks ago on this podcast about influence and market i hope that that makes a lot of sense to the listener and they they give it a lot more attention than they did before they listened to this podcast
1: well we try to keep it light and keep it a happy hour so it's not going to be all just talk about work sometimes it's you know what are you currently binging right now is it a book that you're reading or audible listening to or is there something on netflix that just you can't put the remote down
2: well i think we're all happy if we're sports fans that MLB's back and we got the nba coming back so yes exactly right big thumbs up so um, my son and i are huge dodgers fans uh i I've, I've been a dodger fan since uh, you know since i was born and raised here in la so so you know the ability to watch a majority of those 60 games live every day is something that we're we're trying to do i you know i lived in japan for 15 years so i missed out on a lot of popular tv shows that i've been been watching to play catch up on the one that i'm currently now i you know all the ones in the 90s and and you know until 2010 i'm pretty much caught up on now now i'm actually watching the walking dead uh, i am in season 9 and wow, what an, in- and I, you know, I reserve one hour a night after the kids go to bed for my binge watching and wow, what an amazing, uh, what an amazing series. I thought the first few episodes, I thought it was really stupid and people are saying, no, it gets better, but yeah, just a compelling, uh, TV show that also has, you know, it brings a lot of meaning uh, to life as well and how you define things and, and the different characters and how they look at life and things. So it's actually very thought provoking Yeah, That's, that's my current binge. Well,
1: did you just hit on two things that we love, The Walking Dead and baseball here, just so you know. Absolutely. Uh, Chris is originally from New York, so don't hold it against him, he's a Yankees fan. I know, I know. Every time he mentions that we're we're getting unsubscribed from
2: our podcast when he says he's a Yankees fan. Uh, yeah, I'm willing to the bet there's a
0: few Yankees fans out there listening to us.
2: <laughs> but you know what? I I've I've wanted Dodgers Yankees you know, well, I, I want to kick the Astros. You know, yes. for what they Everybody did. Knows. We all do. <laughs> <laughs> and I was there at Dodger Stadium. I took my son to my first World Series game, the game where the Dodgers lost the Red Sox. And the StubHub tickets I had were in the bleachers amidst tons of Red Sox fans who had the same idea. So that was a very, very bitter pill to swallow but uh you know growing up watching the dodgers yankees uh reggie jackson uh and all the home runs and the whole bit um it's gonna be it's a good thing for baseball and i will say that my family and i were in new york uh visiting uh last year we did actually get to see a yankees game at yankee stadium which was awesome we sat right near judge's corner there and uh, one of my good friends here is a big Yankee fan. So when the Yankees played the Dodgers, we were there and he got there early and Aaron Judge threw him a baseball uh, to his daughter, actually. So I know that Yankees are, are a high quality organization that I have a lot of respect for. And uh, yeah, I, I think that the Dodgers Yankees World Series will be really, really good for baseball, regardless of who you're a fan of. So I'll stop there. Lots of respect.
0: No, I no, I agree I, completely. And I feel like, too. Uh, one of the interesting things about it is you sound like a baseball fan, and the reason I say it is when you tell other stories of it. Some of my most fond memories—I I grew up in New York and and got to go to the stadium as a kid. But some of the most exciting baseball stories I have are like my first trip to Fenway Park. Of course, I wasn't crazy enough to wear any Yankee gear to that, but just the history of it and you know the ability to take it all in—it's uh, it, pretty incredible. So I, I'm with you 100%. Ryan and I've been talking about it a lot lately. We're so thrilled it's back on. I binged
1: uh, over uh, the opening weekend of of baseball. I literally binged. I'm a, I'll buy the MLB package and just and, and watch all of them. I agree with 50% of your World Series pick, by the way. I think the Dodger <laughs> part is right. I think it's going to be the tip of the Rays, just so you know. That's, that's going to be the surprise. Wishful thinking by all. the
0: Rays fan.
2: <laughs> it's a Rays. Dodger, Rays looking good. I'm World not going to lie. I bet. But you know what I was, uh, you know, I've been trying to go to playoff games with, with my son and we were at the game as a family with my father who he was 93 passed away this year. But when he was like 90, we were at the game, uh, the NLCS series where Justin Turner hit the, the, you know, the winning home run in a ninth and after that game ended, went all the way to the parking lot, the fans were just high-fiving each other. Mm-hmm. It was just such an incredible feeling of community. And it sort of makes me miss the pre-pandemic days where you could, whether it's networking at marketing conferences or going to sports games. So I think there's going to be a premium on sports tickets, on marketing conference tickets once we're done with all this. But I can't wait.
1: Big, by the way, my West Coast team is the Dodgers. I lived in L.A. for a little bit. Um, Matter of fact, the first time, here's a little tidbit. The first time I ever went to Dodger Stadium, backstory, I wanted to be in sports. And I realized the only way you can professionally be in sports, and I wasn't a good player. I played Little League, but that was about it, was to get into sales. So my how I got into marketing was actually I started in sales. And I failed at sales. It was awful at sales. Realized, okay, I'm a better marketer than, than in sales. But my first time ever at Dodger Stadium was for a job interview to do uh, an account executive for season ticket sales. And going nice. into there um, with absolutely nobody there getting to go in into like, I guess kind of like the mezzanine level where their offices are as you're waiting, you're just looking out at this empty stadium. And I was in awe. That was my first ever. I didn't get the job, but it was still, that was my experience ever. First time at Dodger stadium was
0: that.
2: Yeah. You know, I, on business trips now I try to go to different baseball stadiums. I've been to Wrigley field at a day game and that was, that was, you You really feel like you're going back in history. Fenway park is on the bucket list. And I didn't realize Dodger Stadium is now the third oldest stadium after those two. So but even Yankee Stadium, just, the you know, taking the subway down there. And yeah, Mm -hmm. just the whole area. It's pretty incredible. Yep. Lots of great memories, but lots of great memories to come even during this pandemic.
1: 100%. By the way, Fenway Park, I believe, and I've been to Wrigley. I've been to new Yankee Stadium, not old Dodger Stadium. Fenway Park is my favorite stadium. Yeah. it's my favorite Wrigley is 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 number two you know close second and part of that is I went to grad school at Boston University which is little walking distance and what it, yeah. it was I would literally go after class I had a class that ended once at like six o'clock it's like wait what 705 is first pitch and just walk right over and be able to you know catch a game whoever it was now of course at you know like Wrigley Field you have a a pillar in front of your face so you you, you lean to the right to watch the pitch you're reeling to the left to watch the catcher catch it so it's a little bit of like a tennis match your head goes through but the experience was was great so i i do uh i do like fenway on that but uh hey you know what we're gonna have to catch you on the road because clearly we all have digital marketing and baseball and i'm with you when i'm in a city i don't care who it is i want to go and experience that new ballpark as well so maybe maybe someday in the future when uh, when the world gets back we could uh make that happen at some point along the way Looking
2: forward to it, my friends.
0: Yeah, this was an absolute Neil blast, potential. Neil. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can people get a copy of your book? Where can they learn more about you?
2: Sure. So my name is Neil Schaefer. I am the real Neil. So it's N-E-A-L. And there's a few of us Schaefers out there in sales and marketing. My last name is spelled S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R. So Neil Schaefer, anywhere on social media. Yes, I do have a TikTok and a Snapchat account as well. You're not going to see me active on those, but you'll find me um, or Neilshafer.com. Uh, you can also find my book, The Age of Influence, on any given uh, bookseller's website. And my podcast, for those of you that are uh, interested in delving deeper into this concept of digital influence and how to leverage it, is called the Maximize Your Social Influence Podcast.
0: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, Neil.
2: Thanks, guys. This was fun. Let's do it uh, again. Definitely, definitely. Take care, everyone. <laughs> All right. Good luck, everybody.
0: Thanks. Always fun to close talking about a little baseball. What would you think about that one, Ryan.
2: You know,
1: Neil brought it. You never know what exactly to expect when you're bringing on a guest. I will say this. Expectations were a little bit higher than, than normal, just knowing Neil. And he not only surpassed it, I just thought he was so knowledgeable, brought tons of value and actionable steps that anybody can take whether you're an entrepreneur small to medium business if you're even on the enterprise level and you're working for a fortune 500 company there's something you can take from this but one of the big takeaways for me was he talked about you know these three pillars of you know your search optimizing for search your social media and then your email marketing which is probably something we don't emphasize enough, but I was kind of glad that Neil talked about those three pillars. So to me, that was kind of the the big takeaways that Neil talked about.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. He was, you know, and we talk about authenticity a lot on the podcast. I mean, how authentic was Neil? I mean. This is sort of the vision we always had for Digital Marketing Happy Hour, which is just a couple of guys grabbing a few beers and having fun talking marketing, tech, and, and all things life. And I feel like this was a, a great episode that really encapsulated that. And to your point, Neil dropped a ton of knowledge, but just made it fun along the way. So really couldn't ask for more than that.
1: So we asked Neil about his keeping it lights. Chris, what are you you know watching or listening to
0: yeah, so I know I mentioned this, but with baseball being back, I am I am still doing my fair share of watching sports. Uh, because of that, I haven't had much time to get into something new, and I don't want to sound like a total mark here, but in doing some prep work for this week's podcast, I actually went out and picked up a digital copy of Neil's book, The Age of Influence, and I'm going to say, if you enjoyed the interview today, pick up a copy of that book. First of all, it's fantastic, and it explains things in exactly the way Neil talked, but it's got his flavor or his, you know, the way he talks about things. And it was just lighthearted, very easy to read. So I absolutely recommend that. I'm, I'm only about halfway through it. I'm, I'm hoping to finish it uh, over the next couple of days here, but definitely a recommended read. What about you, Ryan? What are you binge watching or reading these days?
1: You know, I'm going to stick with the sports and hockey. The NHL is back and they just got started. This the first week as this recording is uh, is going live. So that's a big part of it. So I'm kind of just, you know, been jonesing for sports for so long. And, you know, we've slowly been getting a little bit more. I think several months ago, I talked about soccer and Europe was starting, which I was excited about. But really now the big sports of baseball and now hockey, which is pretty much going right into an NHL playoffs uh, style format, which is exciting. So that's the big thing. And adding on, Chris, to to what you're talking about with Neil, you know, he really is just full of knowledge, stand-up guy. What you see is what you get. And I think, you know, with his book, The Age of Influence, Obviously, a lot of the points you talked about today is in that book. But you can just tell this is a guy who's been around the world, who has is not new to the industry. So I think everybody, you know, really should go and grab his book, check out his his website, uh, go check out his podcast because he has a ton of knowledge that you can consume. So. I just kind of want to drop that, that he really is a a great guy. And before we started recording, we asked him, you know, anything you want to really talk about. And he was all about, you know, I just want to help your audience, whatever it is. So he didn't come with really this major pre-agenda that he wanted to make sure that he had these talking points across the people. He really was like, just in his experience, these are the areas that he knows that people either need to work on or this is how you can get, you know, create influence in this social media world. So kudos to, to Neil. He really brought it and I thought it was just, you know, great to have him on the show and hopefully, you know, in the future we'll, we'll get him again.
0: Yeah, definitely. He said he was open to it. So we'll we'll definitely take him up on that.
1: Well, we've had Neil on. We'd like to hear from you. Is there something that you loved? Anything that you sort of disagreed with that we talked about on today's episode with Neil Schaefer? Let us know. We want your feedback. You can send an email to, podcast at araxum.com that's podcast at a r a x a m com also hit us up on social media on linkedin do a search for me ryan smith marketing you could always do a search on linkedin for araxum you'll find us either way also hit me up on twitter or instagram the handle's the same on both it's ryan smith fla that's r y a n s m i t h f l a
0: And I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. On LinkedIn, you can find me under Araxum or Digital Marketing Happy Hour. And on Twitter, I'm Real Chris Casale. That's R-E-A-L-C-H-R-I-S-C-A-S-A-L-E. And if you haven't done so yet, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or even on iHeartRadio now. We hope it'll enlighten your day. After all, it is our mom's favorite podcast. And in keeping with the theme, we hope it's Neil's mom's favorite podcast too.
1: And on that note, Chris, uh, and everyone else, thanks for listening. We had a great time, and we hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M dot com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at cactuslimrecords.com. The music used for closing credits In My Pocket by Jazzer, you can find it on their album Message. Learn more at betterwithmusic.com. Thank you for listening.